This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there. It's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the One Verse Podcast. Hey, this is the final episode in this ongoing series about hell, based on my book, What is Hell? Next week, we're going to return to the looking at various passages from the scripture based on my gospel dictionary course, because I really want to get that book, probably end up being three books, uh, out into the world. And so for that, I need to return to writing about it and studying. And also, I know that many people in my discipleship group are anxious for the rest of the words in the online course that goes along with that. So we're going to return to that next week. And uh, this, this is uh, today we're going to be looking at two of the warning passages out of Hebrews that many people think teach that if a Christian denies the truth or rejects Jesus or something like that, then even though they're a Christian, they might end up in hell. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews 6 verses 7 through 8. And then also Hebrews 10.27 to see if that really is what these two warning passages are teaching. Now, before we get into that, I want to tell you about a podcast interview I was on this past week. I was interviewed by two great guys, Mike and Andy, from Australia for their Captivate podcast. And you can find them on Facebook, Captivate Podcast, or at their website, CaptivatePodcast.com. And they interviewed about interviewed me about hell on my book, What is Hell? And we had a great discussion. It was about an hour and a half long, where we, t- we talked about all the views of hell and several passages about hell, and also what we can do as believers, as followers of Jesus, to make sure that we aren't living in hell and how we can rescue people from hell. Yeah, I didn't know if you know that's possible, but it is when you understand what the Bible is teaching about hell. I strongly, highly encourage you, recommend that you subscribe to this podcast. They have some great interviews. I was their seventh interviewee, and uh, the one I heard a few weeks ago from Dan Kent on his uh, humility, his book on humility, was fantastic. I'd never thought about humility the way he he presents it, so that was a great interview that, um, that Mike and Andy did. And in fact, I'm going to try to interview Dan myself here in the, in the coming weeks, so you can get that as well. But, but look, if you go and listen to, subscribe to the Captivate podcast, there will be a way for you to get all of about 15 hours of audio teaching from me about hell. Also, by listening to their podcast, they provide some instructions on how you can win a free paperback copy of my book, What is Hell? So look, go over to CaptivatePodcast.com. There's some links there on how to subscribe to their podcast in various places. And then also they include some instructions on how to get the free audio teachings from me about hell and how you can possibly win that free paperback copy. All right. So uh, again, that's CaptivatePodcast.com. You can also find them on Facebook to follow those instructions. Okay. So with all of that in mind, let's get into our study of these two warning passages in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. And Hebrews 10, 27. Let's begin with that first one, Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. The verses say this, For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. 
And obviously the earth here is referring to the life of the Christian and then the blessings from God, not just the rain uh, that comes on the land you might own or something in your flower garden out back, but into our life. All right, so it's talking about that. Now, and here's what the verse goes on to say. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So lots of people read this and say, see, if you are a Christian, And God sends blessing into your life, as he does on all of us in various ways. But you don't respond properly to those blessings, and your life only produces thorns and briars, then you will be rejected, you will be cursed, and you will end up burning in hell. And that is often how this passage is taught from Scripture. But is that really what the author of Hebrews is saying in this text? Now, there are five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And probably this one in Hebrews 6 is both the most uh, common one that people often think about and wonder about what it means. Also, it is the most severely worded of all five warning passages, and it is probably the most widely misunderstood of the five. So we're going to start with this one, look at it briefly, and then move on to the Hebrews 10.27 one. So what we have here in Hebrews 6 is this imagery of a plot of land which is cultivated and planted so that a harvest might be gained from it. If you've ever had a little flower garden, or maybe you are a landowner and you have uh, you plant crops, and that obviously when you till the land and plant seeds in it and water the land, you are hoping to get a crop from it. And so that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. And obviously if a land produces crops the way it is supposed to, then it receives blessing from God. But if it does not produce crops, it gets burned. And that's what this author of Hebrews is talking about. Now, in the context, as indicated, the land refers to you and I, to Christians. And so it is upon Christians that these blessings fall. And God says, he's basically saying, look, I give you blessings so that you can produce fruit, you can produce crops for the kingdom of God. And uh, therefore, the cursing... What does that refer to? The fires, what does that refer to? Lots of people say, well, it refers to going to hell. And if that's the case, then the author of Hebrews is saying here, if you don't respond properly to the blessings of God that come in your life, if you don't produce enough good fruit, then you, even though you're a Christian, you could lose your eternal life and you could end up in hell. Is that what the author of Hebrews is saying? Well, you probably know if you've listened long enough or read my books, taken my courses, you know that I believe in eternal security. I believe that once a person has eternal life, they have it forever. Uh, Everlasting life, if it can be lost, has the wrong name. So obviously, I do not believe that this passage is teaching that a person can lose their eternal life. So what does it mean? I mean, if a person is a Christian, if they believed in Jesus and they have eternal life, then they are not, no matter what, going to end up in hell, whatever you think hell might be in the afterlife. Now, again, if you read my book, listen to that interview I had on the Captivate podcast, then you might know that a Christian can experience hell. Christians often experience hell, uh, and I hope that doesn't confuse you. You're going to have to listen to the interview or read the book to find out what I mean by that. But a Christian cannot go into eternity uh, separated in their life, in, in their afterlife experience with God. Okay, so what is the author of Hebrews talking about? Well, what we need to do to understand this is to look at these three key terms that the author of Hebrews uses in this text. 
The key words are rejected, cursed, and burned. All right, and just as we saw in the previous study from 2 Thessalonians, uh, where you look at these words and all of them are in parallel, and so therefore understanding one helps us understand the other. Uh, that's the same thing here with Hebrews 6. We have these three terms, they are in parallel, which means you, if you can understand one, it helps you understand the other two and vice versa. So let's look at them one at a time. The word rejected, let's start with that one. It is the Greek word adokimos. And it uh, rejected's fine, but it could also be translated as disapproved or disqualified. And uh, the word has nothing whatsoever to do, uh, nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not a person has eternal life. Instead, it has to do with whether or not God finds a person useful and honest in their dealings with others. All right, it is, uh, adokimos is the opposite of the word dokimos, and dokimos means useful, and so adokimos means useless, all right? So, if a Christian is adokimos, if they are useless, sure, they still have eternal life, but God considers the plot of land that is their life to be useless for planting, <laughs> And he might stop sending blessings or stop planting seeds in their life because they just go to waste. Nothing good comes from it. I do talk about this a lot more in the Gospel Dictionary online course. If you're part of my online discipleship group, it is the word approved. All right, so there's a whole lesson on this word dokimos and adokimos in the Gospel Dictionary online course. Uh, And I talk about Hebrews 6 in that uh, lesson as well. But the author is saying here that that since your life is this field, this plot of land, rather than being fit for planting, uh, maybe your life is full of thorns and briars, which are the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world. All of this is reminiscent, reminds us of the parable of the soils, which Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 8. And I believe the author of Hebrews is sort of referencing that as well. But the word rejected here that the author of Hebrews uses uh, adokimos, is also found over in Hebrews 12, 7. Uh, the word blessing is also mentioned in uh, uh, here in 6, 7 as well. So the, the Hebrews 12, 7 and Hebrews 6, 7 are parallel. But over in Hebrews 12, it is in reference to Esau. You remember what happened to Esau? Esau despised his earthly birthright, his birthright from his parents as the firstborn, and he sold it to his brother, Jacob for a meal. And then even though he sought to regain his birthright afterwards with repentance and tears, he was rejected. So even there in that context, the word rejected, adokimos, what does it refer to? Was Esau rejected in that he went to hell to spend eternity separated from God, burning from? No, that is not the context of Hebrews 12, 17 at all. He was rejected, he was denied, he was turned away from receiving his earthly blessings, his earthly inheritance, his earthly birthright, right? These blessings and inheritance that God wanted to give up on him uh, for obeying and honoring him. That's what the word is referring to there in Hebrews 12, 17, and that's what the word refers to here. Those who disobey God will not receive earthly blessings and inheritance 
and honor and so on in this life that they might have been able to have if they had produced fruit, if they had uh, used the blessings of God to help and serve and, 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 and other people, love other people. Okay, so instead they are rejected and they are turned away. They don't get the blessings they might have otherwise had. So again, this first word, it's not about hell. It's not about getting turned away from the you know proverbial gates of heaven or anything like that. It is about being rejected uh, as a useful part of God's plan here on earth. And we all know many Christians are relatively useless in their life as a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean they're not Christians. It just means that God might turn to others who are more useful. All right, so let's move on to the second word that the author of Hebrews uses here, and it is this word cursed. The word cursed is the word katara. Uh, So it's not usually, this is not actually the normal word that we often think of for accursed, but um, that's the word that is used here. Now, the word does not refer to an action. Instead, it is a verbal uh, declaration about something or someone. So it's not something that is being done. It is something that is being said. And in the context, the word cursed is the exact opposite of the blessing that we just read about in, 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 in verse 7. The word for blessing there is eulogia, which means verbal praise. You're, you're telling somebody, you're blessing them, you're praising them with your words. So cursing is the opposite of that. It is also verbal. It is a negative declaration that something is useless. It's saying you're good for nothing, sort of an idea, okay? And this word, the same word cursed is also used in Galatians 3, uh, verses 10 and 13, to refer to the curse of the law, to the curse of being crucified on the cross. It's used in James 3.10 to refer to the curses that a person can utter with their mouth, uh, and it's also used in 2 Peter 2.14 to, re- to describe the behavior and characteristics of false prophets. Um, and, and on that last text, in 2 Peter 2.14, it's important to note, you go and look in the context there, Peter writes about the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Jude, uh, Jude talks, does this as well in Jude 7. Uh, and that is, the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah is very similar to how the author of Hebrews goes on to describe the burning of this worthless field. Now, we've talked about Sodom and Gomorrah significantly at great length in the past. Are we to assume that because Sodom and Gomorrah was burned, that every single person in Sodom and Gomorrah ended up, you know, screaming, suffering, burning forever in a lake of fire of hell for all eternity? Um, Not necessarily. Maybe a lot of them, well, again, I don't believe in a lake of fire burning forever in all eternity anyway, but... um, we, we the, the, the destruction, the physical destruction of the cities on this earth, on this world, in their lives, tells us nothing whatsoever about their eternal destiny. And that's the same idea here. Just because a life might be cursed in this life, whose end is to be burned, we're going to talk about that in a second, it doesn't say anything one way or another, about their eternal destiny, where they are going to spend eternity. It's basically just saying, God has announced that their life is worthless, good for nothing. Uh, He's not going to spend any more time tilling it, planting it, watering it, tending it, cultivating it, because nothing, no fruit, nothing good is coming from that life. All right? They still might be a Christian, but uh, or they might not be, 
The point is, they are there's a verbal declaration that their their plot of land, their life is worthless. All right, let's look at this third and final word then, burned. We sort of already indicated what this could be in referencing Sodom and Gomorrah and the burning of those cities. But what is interesting about this word is that the word burned is not the usual word for fire. The word fire is pure, and uh, the word used here is kausis. So, um, and this is the only time the noun of this word is used in Scripture. The verb form is used in 2 Peter 3.10. There, the verb describes how, at the end of the age, this world will be burned with fire. And what Peter is saying there is that uh, the word doesn't refer to hell, right? It says the world will be burned with fire. Well, what is that talking about? This is not an afterlife destruction or torment or torture in some lake of fire pit of hell. This is about the physical burning of the physical world at the end of history, at the end of this world. Uh, It's referring to temporal discipline and judgment that comes upon the people at that time, comes upon this world at that time. Again, it has nothing whatsoever to do with it. afterlife destruction, torture, torment, in a lake of fire, burning of hell for all eternity, nothing like that. And furthermore, you go and read 2 Peter, and even what is being done here, even you understand the purpose of burning a field, you know that the purpose is not to destroy the field, or to torture the field, or to make the field useless forever and ever. When I was a child... Uh, A young boy, a friend of mine had a field that they planted often, and every spring before they planted that field, several, a couple weeks or months before they tried to plant it, I don't quite remember how it all worked because I was so young, we would go out there uh, and we would set the field on fire and we would burn the whole thing to the ground. And lots of places do that today. Burning a field is actually a way to prepare the field for harvest. If it has become full of briars and thorns and thistles and weeds, it's often one one way to get rid of them all is simply to burn them all. It is quickest and easy way to prepare it for plowing and planting. Lots of people around the world still do this today. I did it with my friend's field growing up. And again, this is the author of Hebrews saying, look, if you are afraid that you have a field, your life is becoming useless, is ready to be cursed, and God's about to say, you know what, I'm not spending any more time on your life because nothing good is coming from your life. The author of Hebrews is saying here, don't worry. Yes, your field might be burned, but that is because God is preparing you so that your field can become useful. God doesn't abandon us, reject us, deny us, forsake us in this life forever. Even though you might go through a time where your life, your fruit, your your field is useless for planting, God is working to restore it. Yes, discipline will happen. Yes, there might be some burning and fire that comes into your life now. But this is a disciplinary process so that God is preparing you, pruning you molding you, shaping you, breaking you even, so that he can use your life, use the field of your life to be planted and make it useful in the future. So this this first warning passage uh, here at the end has a note of hope. And again, it's not about hell, is it? This is about God seeing a life that is useless and the steps he's taking to make it useful. So you put all these three terms together, And you see that there's nothing in here about hell whatsoever. The author is saying that when a Christian fails to live as God wants, 
and desires. And as a result of that failure, the Christian becomes useless to God. Yes, God might announce, hey, this person's life is useless to me right now. But that doesn't mean God sets them aside, abandons them, rejects them, says, you know what, off to hell with you, nothing like that. Instead, God might burn the field of their life so that that person can be properly planted in the future. So this is a passage, basically, it's just uh, explaining the disciplinary and restorative work of God in helping unfruitful Christians become fruitful again, useless Christians to become useful again. It's not talking about who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. It's just the opposite. In fact, this passage is affirming eternal security, right? Because God sees Christians who are doing nothing useful in their life. And rather than reject them and deny them and forsake them and condemn them to hell because they are disobeying him and not doing anything good with the blessings he's given to them— God continues to work in their life. Yes, discipline might come, but God's not denying, rejecting them. Instead, he's working in their life through the process of discipline to help restore them and make them fruitful again. This is a passage which affirms eternal security rather than denies it because God continues to work with and work in the lives of people who have basically denied and rejected and turned away from him. As the author of Hebrews states elsewhere in Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And that is exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying here in this Hebrews 6 warning passage. Okay? So that's the first one we want to look at in this study. Let's turn over to another warning passage, one of the five in the book of Hebrews. This one is Hebrews 10, 27. And the verse in question, the verse we're studying says this. Obviously, I'm jumping right in here to the middle of the text, just like I did with Hebrews 6. Uh, The longer passage is Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 39. We'll be looking at a few of those other verses in just a minute. But the main verse is Hebrews 10, 27, which says, But a fearful, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Okay, pretty serious. Uh, Sounds pretty scary even. Fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation which devours the adversaries. This sounds an awful lot like hell, and indeed that is what many people think it teaches. The author basically says, Look, if you reject the truth that was revealed in Jesus, then you can look forward to nothing except fearful, judgment, fire, indignations, being devoured. Okay? Sounds pretty serious. But let's look again at the context and some of the key words and phrases of this passage to find out what it is really teaching. First of all, it's important to recognize that this fiery indignation does not come from God. The author of Hebrews does not say, but God will send you fiery indignation, right? Or the fire indignation from God, which will devour the adversaries. No, the indignation, this fiery indignation, which devours the adversaries, the context and even the words the author uses here make it clear that this fire indignation is self-inflicted. 
God doesn't send it up on the person. The person invites it upon themselves. It is self-inflicted. How do we know this? All right. The word uh, that the author uses here for indignation is zealous. All right, we know about zeal uh, or jealousy, sort of related to those, and that is how the word could be used. Zealous. Uh, and um, in fact, it's, it is translated as zeal and jealousy elsewhere. Uh, the word itself usually refers to a sinful attitude, all right? Though it is true, there is a form of godly jealousy. And so sometimes this word zealous is used in reference to God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 7, 11 and 11, 2. So here's the question. In passages like this one in Hebrews 10, how do we know whether the word is referring to sinful jealousy or godly jealousy. Obviously, if it is godly jealousy, then this is coming from God. But if it is sinful jealousy, then it is coming from us. So how do we know? Well, it's a very easy way to know. Uh, One can determine whether it is sinful jealousy or godly jealousy by looking at the adjectives, the describing words that are used with the noun. All right. Uh, here, the modifier is the word fire. So, uh, and we've seen over and over again in scripture, this is fiery zeal, fiery indignation, right? So uh, fiery jealousy. And, and uh, from previous studies, again, I talk about this a lot in my book, What is Hell? Uh, and in the Gospel Dictionary online course under the word fire. But you do a study on the word fire, and you see that throughout Scripture, fire is often a symbol for judgment, discipline, destruction that comes into our life here and now. Yes, sometimes fires are used in a positive sense to refer to the fire of purification, but even then, the fires are referring to discipline and the sloughing away of of dross and and wood, hay, and stubble and so on, as in 1 Corinthians 3.15. So uh, the, the end result is purification, but the process is still a burning destruction, burns away everything that is undesirable. And so Hebrews 10 is revealing something similar here. There's this reference to fearful expectation of judgment, worse punishment, that's in verse 29, uh, drawing back to perdition in verse 39. Basically, all of the context here reveals, the words and ideas reveal that this word for fire, the word for uh, fire and the zealous here, is to be understood in the negative, destructive sense. And all of that leads you to realize, to recognize, this is not the godly zeal, the godly jealousy that is referred to occasionally in the Bible. This is the more common form of zeal, more zealous, more common form of jealousy, which is the sinful jealousy, the sinful form, the destructive negative form of, of zeal or jealousy. All right? And so therefore, it cannot be God's because God does not sin. Since this is sinful human jealousy that the author of Hebrews has in view, it is not godly jealousy. The jealousy, indignation, or zeal which the author is describing here, this fiery indignation, this fiery zeal, this fiery jealousy, it's not coming from God. It is instead coming from the sinful human heart, from human beings. 
And that helps us understand the rest of this passage. So here's what's going on in the passage. The author is telling the the readers, look, you've learned the truth, you've heard the truth. Do not reject the truth you have received and learned in Jesus Christ. He says, if you reject what Jesus has revealed, then there's nothing for you to return to except that old way, that old religious system of sacrifices which never did anything to help you with your sin. Indeed, the author of Hebrews goes on to point out, and even we see this even in the Pentateuch, the author of the writings of Moses, and all over the place in the New Testament as well. And this is a very shocking idea if you haven't read my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. But the sacrificial system itself was sinful. It was not what God wanted, intended, or desired. All right? And uh, it was sinful. Again, I, I write about this in great length, a great length in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, if you want a, a longer, more detailed explanation of that. But bottom line, basic summary here is the sacrificial system was based on fear, accusation, blame, and sa- scapegoating. And so Jesus came to set us free from all such things because killing animals does nothing whatsoever for our sin, all right? And so the author of Hebrews is coming along and says, but some of you want to reject the revelation that Jesus has revealed. You want to say that, that, that what Jesus revealed to us about the sacrificial system is wrong. He says, well, if you do that, then all you can do is go back to the sacrificial system. And it's a broken, sinful system. <laughs> and so all you're doing is returning to something that is broken and sinful. Why would you want to do that? Jesus revealed that we have nothing to fear from God. Uh, John writes in, in, in his first letter, in 1 John, that uh, the perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love we've seen revealed to us in Jesus Christ casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In Jesus, we learned that God does not punish people for their sin. Sin bears its own punishment with it. And so while we do fear punishment from sin, we do not have to fear punishment from God. We have nothing to fear from God. And again, the author of Hebrews is coming along, but you want to reject all that revelation from Jesus. So if you reject the revelation from Jesus about the sacrificial system and that that, that God is love and that you have nothing to fear from God, if you're going to reject all that, then guess what you have to return to? You have nothing to return to except for fear fear of judgment, fear of punishment, fear of God. All right? And that explains what the author of Hebrews has in mind here when he talks about fiery indignation. Fear makes people feel that they are being unjustly judged. Everybody knows that. If you are judged, everybody everybody who is handed down a sentence by a judge, almost all of them feel like they got a raw deal, bad deal, right? And that's the same way many people feel about the just judgments of God, the decisions of God. Oh no, God, you know, all these complaints about how the judgments of God are not just, or the judgments of the just, the, the judgments of the judge are not just, okay? Um, but only when a person feels that the person judging them loves them completely, forgives them, accepts them, maybe even as part of their family, has their best interest in, at heart, only then do they feel like the decisions that the judgments are good, are just. But when people fear the judge or they feel like the judge hates them or is out to get them, then they become indignant and resentful 
of the judgment they receive. They feel that all the facts were not properly considered, the extenuating circumstances were not taken into consideration, right? Were not factored in. And that is what happens when people fear God, when they feel that God is out to get them and trick them and trip them up. They become indignant and upset that God will judge them for the actions. Oh, I was forced to do this. I had no choice. Doesn't God know, right? I had no other options. So they become upset, thinking, oh, God's just out to punish me. God's out to get me. And they develop a raging indignation, a fiery zeal, which comes from their own heart and is directed toward God based on incorrect ideas about God, which Jesus came to overturn and correct. But if you reject the revelation of Jesus, then you have nothing to return to except the false ideas, incorrect teachings about God, and therefore the fiery zeal, the, the, the indignation that comes from it. And when you are consumed by that fear, that fiery indignation, hatred even, that you get a raw deal from God, it consumes you. That sentiment, that feeling, that attitude devours you from the inside out which is exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews is warning the readers that if they reject what is revealed in Jesus, then they also reject the love and forgiveness that God revealed in Jesus. And if they reject this, then there's nothing left but inner turmoil of fiery jealousy and indignation, which will consume people from within. So is this... A warning about Christians going to burn and suffer forever in flames of hell? No. Hell is nowhere in view here. It is about, this passage is about the inner psychological turmoil that comes from having bad theology about God, incorrect views about God. That, by the way, is why I have my whole website, redeeminggod.com. Lots of people wonder, what's that about? God doesn't need to be, need to be redeemed. No, <laughs> but many of us, God doesn't need to be redeemed. But many of us have bad ideas about God, bad teachings about God. Uh, we have learned some bad theology about God, and I am trying to uh, redeem your thinking about God. Redeeming God in your brain, the way you think about him, the ideas you have about him. And that's what the website's all about. <laughs> One of the things that reason I do this podcast. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here as well. Don't reject the things you've learned and seen in Jesus because Jesus shows us what God is like. And if you reject what Jesus has revealed to us about God, then you have nothing to go back to except for all that damaging and destructive ideas and thinking about God and behavior towards God, which is just going to destroy you from the inside out. That's what Hebrews 10.27 is about. Now, people say, yeah, but Jeremy, look at, look at verse 29, look at verse 31, look at verse 39. These verses talk about punishment, perdition, and how fearful it is to fall into the hand of the living God. Doesn't this prove, doesn't this show that there's some sort of punishment from God? I know you said, Jeremy, that God doesn't punish, but these other verses seem to say he does, and that we should fear God and all of that. Okay, well, let's look at these real briefly. Uh, let's let's begin verses uh, with verse twenty nine. This word for punishment here, uh, the Greek word for punishment there is timoria. All right, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. All right, and uh, in other Greek literature, obviously it's used outside of the Bible, and in other Greek literature, it most often refers to helping someone who has been wronged by assisting them 
against those who committed the wrong. All right, so if you are wronged, hurt, damaged somehow by someone else, someone else, a third person comes along and helps you sort of get justice against the person who wronged you. All right, uh, it is giving the offender what he deserves by basically doing unto him what he did to you. Uh, sort of a little bit idea here of vengeance, a little bit. It carries the idea of sin coming back to fall upon the person who committed it. All right, and uh, that's basically the same idea, concept of indignation from Hebrews 10.27. Uh, when you feel like you're getting a raw judgment, wrong uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, discipline from God, then, then this feeling, this incorrect feeling comes from your heart, turns around and starts eating away at your own heart. It falls back on your own head. And just as that fire indignation then was not from God, but was from the person themselves because of what they misunderstand about God, that's the same idea of this word punishment here. All right, the word for punishment has the same idea. And as I said, sin bears its own punishment. That's the same idea here. This punishment here doesn't come from God. It is a punishment that you bring up on yourself because of your misunderstandings about God. What about this fearful thing then? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God in verse 31. Well, again, the, the, the author has the same concept in mind that we already saw. If you reject the revelation about God that we have in Jesus Christ, that God is always loving, only forgiving, Okay, if you reject that, then the only alternative view of God that you can have is that God is out to judge you and destroy you. And in that case, yes, it's a fearful thing to fall into that kind of God, right? For those who think that God is out to get them, judge them, trick them, that he doesn't actually love them or take care of them, or that his love looks more like, like hate or punishment or something like that, then it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of that kind of God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a God who wants to judge and kill people, right? But for everybody else that have seen what God is really like, that God looks just like Jesus, that Jesus perfectly reveals God to us, that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, then we have learned through Jesus that we don't need to fear a God like that because God is not like that. Perfect love casts out fear. There's perfect love in Jesus, which means there's perfect love in God. And once we come to understand that, we realize there's nothing to fear from God. Yes, God is a judge. But Jesus shows us what kind of judge God is. And did Jesus go around condemning sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors? No, he did not. He went around loving them, accepting them, hanging out with them, going to parties with them. They were more comfortable with him than with anybody else. The only people Jesus ever had negative words for were the religious leaders who were trying to block people's access to God. And it would be the same way today. Okay, God loves and accepts and forgives and parties with all the people that religious people say are sinners, that God hates them. No, God loves them. The only people God has harsh words for are religious leaders, religious people who teaches hate and, and uh, 
anger and judgment and condemnation and accusation and blame and scapegoating towards other people, all the things that Jesus came to tell us to turn away from. All right? So what kind of judge is Jesus? He's a merciful, kind, gracious, loving judge who is our friend and our brother. (laughs) And you can know you're going to get a good judgment, a good decision from a judge like that. That is the same kind of judge God is. Yes, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, what does vengeance look like from God? It looks just like forgiveness, all right? Again, that's what we're seeing here. But if you reject that, then what do you have? Nothing to return to but fear. Why would you want that? All right, what about this word perdition then in in verse 39? Um, The word here is uh, apoleia, which means destruction. You might have heard of Apollyon, the destroyer. Same idea here. Uh, Destruction is fine. Perdition, it's okay. Refers to waste, something that is wasted. All right. And uh, the word itself refers to that which is uh, utterly lost or utterly completely ruined, right? It has nothing to do with eternal damnation. It simply means that a person is inviting destruction into their life, okay? And um, it, it, it does not refer to... Uh, By the way, it refers to Judas. Remember, he was called the son of perdition. The Antichrist also is referred to the son of perdition, or the word perdition is used in reference to the Antichrist. So what does that mean? Again, it's not about them being condemned to hell forever and ever. It means they invited destruction into their life. And what happened to Judas? Rather than go on, I believe, firmly believe, that if Judas had not committed suicide, he would have been restored to fellowship with Jesus just as Peter was. Peter denied Jesus three times, maybe even as many as six. I have a study about that on my on my website. Just search for the six denials of Peter, redeeminggod.com. But um, Judas would have been restored just as Peter was. But Judas brought destruction, perdition into his life, and he ended up committing suicide. He hung himself because of the regret and shame that he experienced for betraying Jesus. So, Will we see Jesus in eternal life? Some people are Judas in eternal life. Obviously, Jesus. Will we see Judas in eternal life? Some people think so. Suicide is forgivable. If Judas had eternal life, then even though he betrayed Jesus, he could be in eternity with the rest of us. Wouldn't that be an amazing example of the grace of God? I can't say for sure. We'll find out when we get there, won't we? Perdition has nothing whatsoever to do with sending someone to hell, condemning them forever and ever to burn and suffer and scream at all e- for all eternity, okay? It refers to, typically refers to premature physical death. Judas, it wasn't his time to die. He invited perdition into his life because of his actions. He killed himself. He died prematurely. Very closely related to um, the, saving the soul from death that we read about in James and 1 Peter. Okay. So, what is this uh, other warning passages in Hebrews 10 referring to? Once again, yes, it's a dark and ominous text. There is a warning here. But it is not a warning to Christians that if you don't behave, you're going to hell. It's not about that. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, if you've seen the revelation in Jesus, what he's shown us about God and love and forgiveness, and that we don't have anything to fear from God, and you reject that, then what are you going to go back to? You're going to go back to fear? You're going to go back to feeling that God has unjustly judged you? Well, if that's what you're going to go back to, get ready to be consumed 
by that fear. All right? If you live in fear of God rather than in the experience of his unconditional love, then that experience, that fearful expectation of judgment consumes you from the inside out, and you will destroy your life. You might even come into perdition. It might take years away from your life so that you do not experience the great blessings and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction that God wants and desires for you. So, these are serious warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And it is indeed a serious mistake to reject the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we see what God is really like. That God is a God of love, hope, and encouragement. And it's not just for eternity in the future, but for our lives now. He wants you to be who you really are to be. He wants to tend the field of your life, to plant it, water it, to to pour down blessings unto your life. And yes, sometimes discipline will come in order to make that happen so that you can become fruitful and useful for him as he seeks to call you to follow Jesus into this world, to love and serve other people as well. But if you deny and reject all that, God's not going to reject you. He's not going to turn away from you. He's not going to condemn you to hell forever and ever, to burn and scream and suffer. That's not what God is like. God is like Jesus. He loves, forgives, restores, and is eternally patient with you. That's what these warning passages are telling us about. Why do you want to go back to the horrible things you escaped? Stick with Jesus. Live in love. Live in peace and hope. All right, now this is just the two warning passages. The other three in the book of Hebrews can all be understood in similar ways. They're not warning Christians that you can lose your eternal life and go to hell when you die. They're not warnings about eternal suffering and torment in eternity, in the lake of fire, at all. Some warnings here, but they're not about that. Look, I hope you found this study helpful and this whole series of studies that we've done on the book, uh, on the topic of hell in the Bible. I want you to know there's a lot more in my book, What is Hell, if you get the book. Also, there's an online course that is related to uh, the book, and uh, those who are in my discipleship group can get that course at no charge. It's usually $297, but it's absolutely free for those who join the course. And you can do that by going to redeeminggod.com join. Now, uh, also, if you want to learn more about hell, I highly recommend you subscribe to the Captivate podcast. Mike and Andy out of Australia. I love their Australian accents. And they have great guests on all the time to talk about important things. Uh, the, the, the guest right before me was a female author from Australia about uh, living single as a Christian. Lots of people struggle with that and have questions about that. So she wrote a great book about it and was interviewed on that podcast. Uh, prior to that was this great book on humility by Dan Kent. So look, and I know going forward, they're going to have great guests on the show to, to talk about similar ideas. So, so go and subscribe to the Captivate podcast. And um, listen to this interview we had about hell, because then you can get my audio teachings about hell and have the chance to win a free paperback copy of my book. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week right back here as we pick up looking through scripture to redeem you from bad ideas about God. See you then. Bye.